0: Well, shall we turn, dear friends, to our dear old Bible? And we're turning to Genesis chapter uh, 16. Genesis chapter 16. And we're going to read the last two verses of that particular chapter. It's always good to bear in mind that uh, chapter divisions are not inspired. They've been put in by translators to help us to locate certain passages, but in the original scriptures there were no um, chapters. So it's always good to read continually right through a book of the Bible and ignore the chapter divisions. Uh, Genesis 16 and verse 15. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called his name, his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Chapter 17 And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Now, over the last two Sunday evenings, as you know if you've been here, we have been looking at some of the names of God as they appear in the book of Genesis. And a few weeks ago on the first Sunday evening, we were thinking of the very first name that God uses to reveal himself and that was the, the Hebrew name Elohim. It appears in our English Bible as God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but the original Hebrew is the name Elohim. And then, last Sunday evening, we were thinking of the second name that God reveals himself to us by, and we have it in Chapter Two of Genesis, and it is the lord it 's in capital letters in English translations, but we noticed last week it is the the Hebrew word jehovah and this evening we 're going to have a look at the next title or name that God uses to to reveal himself. And we have it here in chapter 17 of Genesis. It says, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now that's how it appears in the English translation. But we go back to the original Hebrew and we find that uh, it is El Shaddai. So we could read and said unto him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be thou perfect. And uh, This is a very interesting time in Abram's life. Because in chapter 16, we're told that he was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him, 86 years of age. And then when we come into chapter 17, we find that when he was 99 years of age, that the Lord appeared to him. We subtract 86 from 99. And we get the figure of 13. And it would appear that during those 13 years that uh, there was silence between God and Abram. Because there's no record of God appearing to Abram or to reveal himself in any way during those 13 years. Now, the Lord could have revealed himself, but I'm just saying, as far as the record goes, we have no record of it. And uh, if the Lord didn't appear to him, and didn't reveal himself to him during those, those 13 years, When he was the grand age of 99, the Lord appears to him and reveals himself to him by this new title, this new name, El Shaddai. Now, let me try and explain what it means. You will see immediately, it is a compound name. That is to say, it comprises of two parts. L, E, L, and then Shaddai. L is another name for God, because God has many names, and L is another of his wonderful names. But joined with the name El, you have Shaddai, which signifies a source of all bountifulness and all sufficiency. So you could translate El Shaddai not just as God Almighty, but God all sufficient. And that's the significance of El Shaddai. And what a tremendous revelation that must have been to Abraham at the grand age of 99. Now let me say very quickly and very briefly this evening three things concerning this great title name. First of all we see that God is all-powerful. We go back to the name El, and in the original, it signifies strong, first. And it shows us and presents God to us as the Mighty One, the first great cause of all. And we link that way back to chapter 1 of Genesis, in which it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and there's a demonstration of how powerful and how omnipotent and how almighty God is in which he created the vast universe of which we are a part. So when we think of El we think of the strong one and the first one the first great cause of everything. But then secondly, we see that by the name El Shaddai, we find that God is the all-revealing one. And this comes out beautifully in chapter 17 of Genesis. You see, God sees everything. He sees the end from the beginning. We have to wait until things happen to see how they're going to work out. Not so with God. God sees the end from the beginning because He lives in the eternal presence. Therefore, God is in the position to reveal certain things to Abraham that he didn't know about. Take, for example, He said to Abraham, "Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations." What a revelation that must have been to Abram, the father of many nations. And then the Lord revealed to Abram concerning Sarah, his wife. And he said to Abram, Your wife Sarah is going to have a son, and you're going to call his name Isaac. Now, here's something very interesting. As soon as God said that to Abram concerning his wife Sarah, he fell on his face and he laughed. He laughed. (laughs) That's what it says. He laughed. Now you say to me, now why? Why did Abram laugh when the Lord told him concerning Sarah? Thought it be good news we have a baby we have a family but remember Abram at this time is nearly 100 years of age and Sarah is 90 years of age so you see immediately why Abram had a good laugh as if to say Lord what planet are you living on? Get real. Sarah is past it. She's 90 years of age. And all hope of having a family is gone. And yet, Lord, you've told me that Sarah, when she's 90 years of age, is going to have a (coughs) son. And you're going to call his name Isaac. That was a natural reaction of Abram. He just had a jolly good laugh. As if to say, (laughs) who's he kidding? Who's he bluffing? How can this be? But you see, did he forget immediately what the Lord said? I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yes, humanly speaking, biologically speaking, it seemed impossible for Sarah to have a baby at her age. But with God, all things are possible. So a revelation to Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. And to Sarah, even though you're 90 years of age, yet you're going to have a little baby boy. And his name was to be Isaac. Now Isaac, in the original Hebrew, means laughter. And I'm sure, dear friends, that as Abraham and Sarah pushed the pram—if they had prams in those days—and looked into that little baby's face, Isaac. They must have had a jolly good laugh to themselves. He's here. He's here. I'm a hundred years of age, and you're ninety. And look, we have produced this lovely baby boy, and his name is Isaac. Laughter. Also, God revealed himself with regard to, to Ishmael, the son by Hagar. And the Lord said to Abram, yes, I have remembered Ishmael. He should be a great nation. And from Ishmael came the Arab states. So you see, El Shaddai is the one that reveals himself concerning things that are yet to come. But then further we find that by the name we see that God is all sufficient. You see, if you've got God, you don't need anybody else. You don't don't need anything else because God is all-sufficient for everything. And that's the significance of Shaddai, God all-sufficient, bountiful, overflowing, meeting every need, every crisis, every emergency. There's nothing he can't do. He meets every need. He can solve every problem. There are no panic stations in heaven. God never pressed the panic button. No, he's got everything under control. And that's the significance of El Shaddai. So, we also find that God only gave to Abraham a new title, a new name to reveal his character. But he also gave to him a command. He says, walk before me and be thou perfect. A command, walk before me. Now let me try and develop this for a, a little while this evening. Because the Bible has a lot to say with regard to uh, our walk as Christians. It uses that metaphor, that analogy, because walking is an expression of life in the physical and is also an expression of life in the spiritual. And it's likened to walk. And there are four prepositions that are used to describe our walk. And here's the first one. In Genesis 17, it says, Walk before thee, And we underline the preposition before. Now then, slip over to Deuteronomy chapter 13, would you? Deuteronomy chapter 13, and here's what it says in verse 4. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. And keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. Now, notice the preposition in verse 4: ye shall walk after the Lord. In Genesis 17, walk before him. In Deuteronomy 13, ye shall walk after the Lord. Now then, slip over to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Sorry, Genesis chapter Yes, Genesis chapter 5. And uh, look at verse 21. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begot sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now in Genesis chapter 5, <coughs> the preposition is uh, with God. Enoch walked with God. Now then go over to Colossians in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2. And here's what it says in verse 6. And as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And the preposition there is in. Now get these all together. Genesis 17 walk before me Deuteronomy 13 walk after the Lord Genesis 5 walked with God Colossians 2 walk in him four prepositions before after with and in in relation to our walk with God now then what's the significance of these different words these different prepositions Well then, we walk before him as children. Now those of us who are parents with our children growing up, do you remember when they were children, they used to walk before us so that we could keep an eye on them. And of course, to them, it was a sense of security because they realized behind them was their mother and father. So we walk before him as children. Because we are utterly dependent upon our Heavenly Father for safety and for security. But we walk after him as servants. And that's the position of servants, serving their master. They're walking after him to minister to him for his different needs. But we walk with him as our friends sometimes you're walking home from church with a friend you don't walk ahead of them you don't walk behind them no, you walk with them and that's the thought there we walk with God as his friends think of it Enoch walked with God for 300 years what a walk that must have been with God. I love the story of the, the young girl coming home from Sunday school one afternoon. And her mother said, when I, my dear, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Well, she says, Mommy, we had a wonderful story. About a man called Enoch. Oh, the mother said, "That's wonderful, dear." Now, what happened? Well, she says, "Mummy, Enoch and God they went for long walks. And one day they walked and they walked and they walked and they walked. Listen, the little girl to they, walked, they walked and they walked and they walked. When suddenly the Lord said to Enoch." You have walked an awful long while. Come into my big house and just stay the night. And Genesis 5 says, And Enoch was not, for God took him. He cheated the undertaker. He never died. And God took him after walking with God for three hundred years. So when the Lord said to Abraham, I am El Shaddai, walk before me. That's one aspect of our walk with God. We walk before him, but then we walk after him. We walk with him and then we walk in him. And that signifies our mystical union because we are in him and he is in us and that's the mystical union between the believer and the Lord and what a union that is it's indissolvable and it is an eternal union we are his not just for time but for all eternity so you get it this the Lord reminded Abraham Of a great fact, I am El Shaddai. And then he gave him a command, walk before me. But listen to this. He set Abraham a standard. And be thou perfect. And here we're going to get into deep water this evening. You may not believe what I'm going to say. I might get my P45 off the service from Graham, but uh, I want to get you thinking tonight, friends. I looked up about 20 or 30 different translations. And on many occasions, you don't have the word perfect. You have other words Perhaps upright, sincere, blameless, complete—but not the word perfect. Because our immediate reaction is this: How on earth can God expect us to be perfect? And so we incline to say, when "I." It really doesn't mean perfect, it must mean something else, upright, sincere, blameless, complete. It's been translated the word timing for perfect 41 times as without blemish. But here's the question I want to put to you dear friends. And you have to get your thinking caps on when I ask the question. What other standard could God put to Abraham apart from perfection? What other standards? Because what God requires is nothing less than perfection. That's the only standard God could put to Abraham. And the only he can put to us this evening. Now we may, we may try and water it down. We may try and get rounded. But there it is. Walk before me and be thou perfect. It does not mean to be sinless. That we could ever be. But uh, be thou perfect. Well you may say to be Stanley But that's the Old Testament. Okay then. Let's go to the New Testament. What did our Lord say in the Sermon on the Mount? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's the Lord. Not by words, his words. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. My dear friends, we are living today... In Christian circles and in Christian churches in which the standard is slowly but surely falling. And churches today and Christians today are tolerating things they would never have tolerated 20 or 30 years ago. And that is sad for me to say that. Standards are falling We want God to come down from his standard down to our standard. Oh no, we've got to come up to his standard. It's the only standard God could put to him because our God deals with perfection. Well you say suddenly, is it possible to walk with him and be Perfect. I wonder how Abraham felt. Be thou perfect? But did he forget what God has already said to him? I am God Almighty. I am God all sufficient. Is God asking us to do something that he knows is utterly impossible? Is he tantalizing us? Surely not, dear friends. That is the standard. And we, by God's grace, and by God's power, and by God's energy, should seek to get to that standard as we seek to walk with him and be thou perfect. That is not to say, dear friends, that we should ever achieve it down here in our Christian life. But that's the standard. Uh, aim for it. Do you remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3? He says, I have not yet apprehended that for which also I have been apprehended by Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What a statement to come from the great Apostle Paul. Notice what he says, forgetting those things which are behind. My dear friends, I'm talking to a congregation this evening, and whether we like it or not, we're getting on, apart from Graham, of course. He's just a young fellow. But the rest of us, well, we're getting on. And the danger and the tendency as we get older is to look back And we just don't remember the past and the good times. But the tendency is that we begin to live in the past. That's the danger. What meetings we had in the good old days. What great preaching we had in the good old days. And you'd almost think, well, it's all finished. It all happened in the good old days, and there's nothing else. Dear friend, my dear elderly brother and sister this evening, when did God give Abram this command? When he was a teenager? Of course not. When he was in middle age? Of course not. He gave this command to Abram when he was 99 years of age. Anybody 99 tonight in the meeting? <clears throat> I don't see anybody. <clears throat> 99. Well, this was the age that God gave to Abram the commands. Walk before me. Don't you think, dear friend, because you're getting on, and you're getting your pension every week or every month, that God's finished with you? Oh, no. It's very sad in many churches. They concentrate on the youth children, young people, and of course that's necessary but they forget about the other end of the scale they may forget God doesn't God wasn't finished with Abram when he was 99 years of age and dear brother and sister God's not finished with you whatever age you might be because God so got plans and purposes and it could be the highest point in your life spiritually could be yet in front of you it was in the case of Abraham this wonderful revelation El Shariah and also when he was a hundred years of age he had we Isaac <laughs> laughter I'm not going to say you're going to have any Isaacs, those of us who are still there. I'm not going to say that, friend. But who knows? Nothing's impossible. So, don't write yourself off. God hasn't. He's not finished with you. And he won't be finished with you until he presents you faultless, conformed to his great and glorious image. And be thou perfect forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before I press toward the mark now the word that Paul uses for I press it literally means in the Greek I agonize I agonize and you get there the, 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 the agonizing it's, it's costing Paul something to press toward the mark let's face facts dear friends the Christian life is not an easy life it's a wonderful life, a joyful life a peaceful life but it's not an easy life and we shall have to be like Paul we shall have to press we shall have to agonize towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus but it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face of sorrow will it So bravely run the race until we see Jesus. And I trust, dear friends, as I close, that you've been blessed, I've been blessed, as we've been thinking of these wonderful names of God. Elohim, Jehovah, El Shaddai. Because it says in the book of Psalms, listen to this, they that know thy name shall put their trust in you. Here's a wonderful way to get to know God. Get to know his names. Because God does not expect you to trust him without first of all knowing him. And as you get to know him by his names, you will find that you'll be able to trust him. And then another lovely verse in the Psalms which says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous runneth therein, and is safe. What a name we have tonight. El Shaddai, God Almighty. God all sufficient. For time. And thank God for all eternity.